Welcome, 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 guys. Welcome to Inside Center News Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Ori, your gracious host. Um, today I'm not walking. They ended up cutting my hours, so I decided to 
you know, um, do some podcasting, something I love, and you know, say, you know what, let me just do it. Let me just share some news uh, happening in black communities uh, and black queer communities. So, happy Sunday. Let me just first say by uh, wishing uh, you a happy Sunday and also wishing to my brothers and sisters, Muslims, you know, uh, happy Ramadan's day. Uh, you know, they are uh, fasting. And uh, so, yeah. So, the first story I'm going to share with you guys, it's about... Um, it's called it's about a philanthropist who just uh, gave 40 million dollars to a HB uh, is it, I think it's ABCU right college you know, meaning just black college Morehouse College in Georgia and uh, the title of the article uh, it's called Billionaire Philanthropist Vows to Pay Off Morehouse College Grads Within Quotation Student Debts. And the article is half in uh, half post. I was going to say half in post because it used to be called half in post a few years ago. Um, and they transition to a new name now it's called half post um so i'm gonna read you the article <clears throat> bear with me it reads within quotation on behalf of the eight generations of my family who have been in this country we are going to put a little four in your bus robert f Smith told the class, and this article came on came out on May nineteenth, which is today, two hours ago. Um, it was written by Amy Russo. So um, I'm gonna continue to read the article, and I'm gonna give you my personal take. Try as the mind is dubbed for most commencement speakers make a lasting impression on their listeners but billionaire Robert F. Smith made sure he would be remembered making a generous pledge as the future speaker at the Morehouse College graduation ceremony Smith committed himself to paying off college loans amassed by members of the 2019 graduating class at the Atlanta school and there's this quote that just you know say at the beginning of the article uh, I'm gonna continue I'm gonna jump it because um, I'm gonna skip it because obviously I already told you guys about the quote he say uh, in his commitment speech uh, Smith's news stunned the crowd of nearly 400 graduates who leaped from their chairs, responding with shots and applause. 
calling the 2019 graduates within quotation my class um, he's saying I know my class will make sure they pay this forward within quotation he challenged the student at the historical black or male school to within quotation make sure every class has the same opportunity going forward because we are enough to take care of our own community within quotation he added within quotation we are enough to ensure we have all the opportunities of the american dream and we will show it to each other through our actions and through our words and through our deeds according to the elena journal constitution Smith's family will donate an estimate forty million to cover the cost of the student loans. And General Smith gave the school one point five million for an indoor scholarship and a new park in which students will be able to study. Smith, 56, was raised in Denver, went to Cornell University as an undergraduate and then to Columbia Business School, trained as engineer. an engineer. He founded Vista Equity Partners, a firm that invests in software companies. Forbes magazine has estimated the company assets exceed $46 billion and that Smith's real-time net worth is $5 billion. <clears throat> During Sunday's ceremony, Smith was pre presented with an honorary doctorate degree along with actress Angela Bassett and psychologist Edmund Gordon. Morehouse thanked the philanthropist with a Facebook post shortly um, after the event. And there's like a photo of him holding uh, a binder, a um, red binder, a red Bordeaux binder, yeah, and uh, well, a red Bordeaux, and a color red Bordeaux, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, and they have uh, like a caption, a small caption, thank you, Robert Smith. There's like a, a love emoji uh, with a um, um, few like uh, hot you know for the graduate uh, for the people who are graduates who just graduate I meant uh, and hashtag Morehouse College hashtag class of 2015 he's the biggest private donor to the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington and has partnered with Bill and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett within quotation giving pledge initiative to contribute more than 50% of his wealth to humanitarian causes such as disaster relief and poverty. Guys, I'm gonna give you my personal take on this individual. Well, what I would say, and that's the end actually, um, of the article in question. I will tell you this, guys. Uh, I'm not impressed, and I already um, shared this photo on my Snapchat account, which I'm not going to share here because I, it's private. Um, I would say this to you. It, this is a public st uh, publicity stunt. 
the reason I'm telling you is because um, this is an individual, you know, that I'm really familiar. Not in terms of personal, uh, personally speaking, but um, in terms of, you know, on the web, in terms of reading uh, a lot about him, you know, even there's not really... Uh, much I know about his life, um, but I do know about his investment and his take, his visions, his uh, thoughts when it comes to um, black people. You know, there was a, um, a I think a news article that, um, that, um, about him few years ago, it was like two years ago or three years ago, it was just right um, before um, President Obama leaves office. So what happened was, he, I'm going to play the song uh, in the background, don't worry, um, you know, for the, my music background, you know. Uh, I want to just first take pause for a minute here. Um, and uh, to, go, to go back to what I was telling you, so, and... I think it was Forbes or another news outlet asked him about the state of black people. You know, at that time, black people were being killed, you know, heavily. You know what I mean? Today, it's not that much uh, because obviously, you know, there's too much white supremacy. So they kind of took like a break, you know. Somehow they kind of did. You know, it's not like they they have stopped. They're still killing people, but... Uh, I mean, the rest soldiers, the white supremacists who have invaded law enforcement. These, these are the one I'm, I'm talking about. They still killing black people, but not heavily as they did in 2016 and 2015. So, because obviously they wanted to, you know, show that even Obama was in the office, they were gonna continue bring the terror on us. So, to further this conversation, and uh, they ask him, you know, hey, why don't you? Um, support, you know, the black organizations like Black Lives Matter, and he said he was not really interesting. You know, he, he was interesting to talking about uh, black issues. You know, the the injustice black people face. So, and you have him going to this college, you know, and paying off these student loans. Don't get me wrong; this is a good gesture, but it's not enough because, again. Black people, we do not have black economic empowerment behind us to support us, to fund us, that can shield us from the terror of white supremacy. So uh, we're going to have to look for jobs after graduation. These uh, brothers at the Morehouse College, they're going to look for employment. You know, they don't have the 6%. Every white the, the majority, not everyone, but the majority of white people, you know, um, grew up with, you know, 86% of chance to make it in life here in the United States. So, and most obviously elsewhere. So, they don't have, I mean, they don't have it. The same way I don't have that, that chance, that privilege, you know what I mean? We were stripped with the uh, colonization you know, we were stripped with uh, slavery times. We were stripped from the opportunities. 
you know. So to me, I'm not buying. I think he's uh, a coon, you know. I call him a coon because he has refused to stand with us when we're being oppressed because he's afraid he may lose his, you know, fortune. So sad. So that is my take on this. And the next story, it's called Black Girls Detail Harsh Consequences of Being Seen as Other Than White Peers. So that's the name of the article. And I'm going to play, I think there's a small video. I hope it has some audio in it. Um, so let me play it. Williams yelling at the chair umpire, smashing a racket, loudly complaining of a double standard between men and women players. Serena Williams suffered a mesmerizing meltdown on the court. Serena Williams is paying the price for her U.S. Open Finals meltdown. Guys, and that's the end of this small video. So I'm going to read the article. It was published uh, two days ago, May 17th, uh, uh, 2019, um, by Sarah Ruiz Grossman. And it reads, Black women's lived experience echo a 2017 study that found adults viewed young black girls as less innocent and more adult-like than white girls. A new report details the uh, negative consequences suffered by black women and girls when people perceived as older than their white peers. Researchers at Georgetown Law Center on Poverty and Inequality reported their findings Wednesday after speaking to groups of black girls and women across the country about whether their real life experiences reflected what the same researchers found in 2017. The identification within quotation of black girls, the women and girls say they did. That prior study, which drew headlines two years ago, found that U.S. adults believe black girls seem older than white girls of the same age. 
the black girls need less nurturing, support, and comfort, and that young black girls know more about sex than white girls do. Almost all the black girls and uh, women we talk, um, they said they were experienced identification bias as children, within quotation. Report co-author Jamelia Blake said in a statement, within quotation, and they all overwhelmingly agreed that it led teachers and other adults to treat them more harshly and hold them to higher standards than white girls. The researchers spoke to nine uh, focus groups with a total of about 50 black girls and women of varied age and in diverse regions of the country. Over a year, Where were we? Uh, what was I actually? Um, of varied age in there. Oh, I think I already read that one. Yeah, over a year from 2017 to 2018. To society, we are not innocent, and white girls are always innocent. One participant in the focus group age between 17 and 23 years old told researchers within quotation even when you see just in general the word attitude being applied it's usually not applied to white girls another participant in 20 uh, between 20 to up to 29 years old group said it's applied to black girls within quotation Actually, let me play a small video. There's a small video about this small research by, I think, by the Georgetown uh, University. Uh, Georgetown, Georgetown, yeah, University. Law section, um, in the Faculty of Law, not, but Law section if you want. So. I had to, you know, reload the page. You know, I was having some technical issues. I apologize. In the United States, adults view black girls as less innocent and more adult-like than their white peers starting as young as five years old. This is known as adultification bias. All kids make mistakes, but in similar situations, black girls are treated differently. A white girl's mistakes might be met with sympathy and understanding. But time after time, black girls are punished instead because they are held to a more adult standard of behavior. Those different standards may be linked to harsher treatment for black girls. 
Negative stereotypes of black women are also projected onto black girls, which can contribute to adultification bias. In focus groups, black women and girls overwhelmingly confirmed that even when they were young, adults viewed them as less innocent than their white peers. They also told us that adults stereotype them as too loud, aggressive, or angry, and see black girls' actions as threatening and disrespectful. Adultification bias erases the distinction between childhood and adulthood, which can have a harmful impact on the lives of black girls. We need to work together to end adultification bias. These findings in our new study provide key insights into the lived experiences of black girls and an inspiration to drive change. At Georgetown Law Center on Poverty and Inequality, we are committed to raising awareness and promoting the need for cultural competency training and age-appropriate treatment of black girls so they can have a childhood in a safe, supportive, and nurturing environment where they can dream, lead, and thrive. Be part of the change.
guys, I'm back. I am back. So I had to take some pills. I wasn't feeling well in my stomach. I've, I had to take some pills for my, you know, head. You know, it does help. Uh, aspirin free. I don't take anything that has aspirin in it. Um, I'm gonna continue with this uh, news article. The 2017 report grew out of findings from a 2014 study by Philip Goff that found black boys were more likely to be viewed as older and to be suspect of crimes starting at age 10. Choosing to focus specifically on black girls, the 2017 study found that adults saw black girls ages from 5 to 19 years old as in need of less protection and support than white girls the same age and the black girls were more independent and knew more about adult topics including about uh, sex the woman in the focus group uh let me see this app is kind of junky. I'm using an app, the app post um, app. Yeah, the women, the focus groups recounted experiences that reflect how, within quotation, adultification bias appear to be connected. I gotta turn off my alarm. Uh, where were we? Yeah, appear to be connected to their receiving more punitive treatment. One participant, for instance, described an encounter with a police officer who didn't believe she was 15. He handcuffed and fingerprinted her, insisting she was too old not to carry identification. Other women spoke about being treated as having an attitude of being as threatening in school within quotation most times when you try to to like defend yourself they see you are talking back and then they'll be like there is, there is consequences one participant in the uh, age group between 17 years old and 23 years old age group told your town's researchers um, and they'll be like oh so they get a detention get a suspension they always feel like you are talking back, but you are really not. You are just trying to defend, like uh, you get your side, you know, your side across within quotation. Research has shown that black girls in school are over five times more likely to be suspended than the white girls. Per a 2017 report from the National Women's Law Center using data from the U.S. Department of Education Office for Civil Rights uh, from 2013 to up to 2014, researchers hypothesized that part of what played into the adultification of black girls were stereotypes People heard about black women as the sapphire within quotation or angry black women within quotation or as the Jezebel within quotation or the hypersexualized black woman and then will apply those to young black girls. 
black women, the researchers spoke to said these align with their experiences. Gotta go back. Let me get first my tea. I'll be back. Yeah, I had my tea in a uh, um, microwave. I was heating my tea. Um, so I'm almost um, done with this article. A black girl, if she's right and she wants to argue about something, she's always label us like angry within quotation one participant uh in the age group between 17 uh, up to 23 years old uh focus group said i would like to see people like debating with teachers and they will always automatically get in trouble because like she's uh she has attitude she said in sixth within quotation obviously in sixth grade the school nurse like asked my aunt if i was sexual act active and i was like at the time like what i didn't know anyone that had sex one participant a uh age group between 20 years old and 29 years old said and it was crazy to me and then just thinking like she will never think to ask my white friend that, within quotation. The study authors are asking black women and girls to share most, more, more stories on their website in effort to be more awareness and spark change. I'm going to give you my personal take on this. Uh, I would say this. Uh, <clears throat> This article is garbage. It's trash. It's really trash. It's garbage. And the reason I'm telling this, and it's not to discredit uh, the work of Sarah Rose Grossman, you know, the person who wrote this article, but you really have to understand something. This has to do with uh, race, you know. It has to do with these people who are being attacked, who are being... um, terrorized because this is terrorism this is uh, a terrorism that goes on in uh, school systems here in the u.s and obviously not a part of the uh, white countries so um because obviously you have these white teachers who want to demonize and dehumanize because if you are uh, asking a you know an aunt of uh a, a actually a student aunt you know meaning you know the aunt of one of the students that goes to a particular white school or you know white owned school um whether it's public or private because it's still a white owned school black people do not have the economy uh empowerment to fund and operate a school 
that is the first thing people should know uh, and second when you are asking them if you know the girl the girls are active this is really uh, a racial motivated question you know you are really trying to destroy the future of that girl destroy the future of uh, the ball and trying to attacking them i remember when i was in high school i used sometimes to be late in my chemistry school a few years ago uh like back in let me see 2015 and uh i would get detention when uh, we had um at a white student who were always late but me and other um, black student will get detention, you know, uh, if you are late three times, you will get detention, so I remember that, you know, there's a time when I was, like, late two, three, five minutes, and I would get detention, which don't make no sense, five minutes, guys, five damn minutes, so, and to go back to, well, Serena Williams' experience, um, this has to do with race, you know, Yes, gender plays a role, but more uh, importantly, the race really does play a major role. You know, yes, I'm not, you know, uh, saying the gender doesn't play a race, like, you know, they're being discriminated, but you have to understand, black women are the most, are the most discriminated, is the most discriminated actually group, and, and single, let me put in a single, is the most discriminated group here in the US and everywhere in the world. You know they so that's that's basically the truth here, you know. Uh, this research is incomplete obviously it does not speak with the black audience, you know. Cause doesn't they don't say they say oh, around the country but they don't specify where this research was conducted. We need location, you know in order to understand is this report really does cover the demographic, the uh, black woman. Um, uh, so yeah, so this is why I say it's garbage, it's trash. The third story, it's called Why Students Were Cornrows and bandanas as costumes for high school quotation thug day so that's the title of this article and it's again it's an half post uh, i'll let you know guys if i you know uh about to read an article from another website um so or another magazine i'll, I'll let you know guys So I'm gonna play the video. There's a, like, I think a small video. I hope it has some audio uh, uh, transition. Um, if it doesn't, then I'm gonna read. I'm gonna go ahead with the article uh, for you guys. Thank you.
My name is Yasmin Yunus. I am a first-generation Iraqi-American Muslim. I'm also a student and an activist. It sucks to see that. It's offensive. It's like a butchering of my culture. I didn't spend 23 years as a Chinese-born American to live next to this. I'm of multiracial descent, including Taino Arawak, which is the indigenous First Nations people of the Caribbean. We're seen as just like TV characters, you know, the savage with the fringes and these boobs that, you know, aren't even accurate. Even our body paint has meaning and then, you know, you just put on this cheap paint that you probably got at the dollar store, you know, for fun because you thought it was funny. Like, my existence is just comical or hilarious to you. I'm Kanaka Maoli, Native Hawaiian. One of the things about Hawaiian culture that not a lot of people know is that historically it was illegal to practice anything that had to do with Native Hawaiian culture. So my grandmother is currently in her 70s and she's finally learning how to dance hula. And she's been creating her hula skirt and her lei for weeks now. And this is nothing what it looks like. This costume is extremely hurtful, not only for myself, but for the generations that had to go through this erasure. My name is Gianna and I am a 22-year-old recent graduate who is also African-American. Pick in particular bothers me because our hair is stigmatized as being untidy and just, just incredibly insensitive to the actual real struggles that African Americans have wearing their natural hair. I identify as a first generation Latina. Obvious examples of chola culture might be hoop earrings drawn on eyebrows or heavy lip liner. When people appropriate chola culture in Halloween costumes, it erases the stories and narratives of people who identify with Chola culture. Halloween would be the worst time to co-opt a person's culture because it's a day of dressing up as things that are completely out of the ordinary or very old or very provocative. So wearing someone else's culture on that day is incredibly offensive because you're basically saying their culture is othered in a way that is almost funny, humorous, or, you know, scary. When you see this costume, what do you think? People tend to think terrorist, or they tend to think barbaric, or they tend to think uncultured or uncivilized, and they make fun of that. That kind of just goes with like what the media has kind of done with my identity and my background, my religion. You get a jacket, has a dragon on the back. It's just that they think that it's cool and nothing else. They don't find the significance of it. They see it as exotic. I feel like they're mocking me and mocking my family, my history, my attachment to these garments. Cultural appropriation is theft. Cultural appropriation is taking aspects of another person's culture and using them mainly completely out of context. Members of a dominant group borrow elements from a marginalized group while actively erasing the people of that culture and diminishing the meanings of what we practice. The majority of us know that blackface is cultural appropriation, but that is how I view and how my people in the indigenous community view this costume. We have endured a history of being pushed into the background that even in Hawaii, where I'm from, that we're still a minority in what is and has been our homeland. Those are aspects of our cultures and our identities that we were told were wrong and we were told not to be proud of and we are told to hide and to conform and to see folks that don't have to conform, you know, use those aspects of our identity and make it popular, make it cool or make fun of it.
That's just wrong. And uh, guys, thank you for listening to this. Um, so the video can be found uh, on the, the article and the original um, with the magazine uh, Teen Vogue. Uh, so you guys can go and watch, you know, the video in question. It's an amazing video. I love it. So I'm almost reaching to an hour um, limit, uh, recording limit, podcast segment. Uh, so I'm going to um, just play some music in the background just to reach the hour, uh, the one hour um, recording uh, limit. And after that, I'll be back uh the second hour uh recording segment so stay tuned and i will read you the article the full article
Here we go, guys. I am back, and uh, I'm gonna repeat uh, the name of the article. It's called "White Students Wear Cornrows and Bandanas as Costumes for High School," within quotation Thug Day. So I'm gonna read the article, and I'll give you my own take on this. The outfits sparked controversy online with many criticizing the students for appropriating and marking black culture and by the way the article was written by um, Elena Vaiganos so it's Spanish apologize um, for the Spanish speakers uh, I don't speak Spanish um, so um, I try my best to pronounce it um, and if I, if I fail, if, you know, I missed the shot, apologize for that. Uh, May 17th, on May 17th, uh, 2019, uh, and two days ago, I have a Around 30 white students at Memorial High School in uh, Houston, Texas, sparred cornrows, baggy sports jerseys, um, and gold chains. On Tuesday, last Tuesday, for what many students called Thug Day, within quotation. The day is part of the school's annual spirit week, which is created by the school to celebrate rising seniors. The theme of the day was Jersey Day, within quotation, but many students call it Thug Day, within quotation. Current Memorial High School senior Rachel Godwin told HuffPost. Goodwin tweeted several photos of her classmates wearing sweatbands and fake tattoos that read swag within quotation for spirit week and her tweet quickly went viral. Other photos show female students dressed in baggy pants spotting fake face tattoos and handcuffs. And as for Friday morning, the image had received over 16,000 retreats. And there's a photo of the 14s. Um, with the, uh, yeah, with all these, you know, bad costumes, I guess. The outfit sparked controversy online, but many criticizing the student for appropriating and mocking black culture. Black people with this air are denied jobs, internships, and get harassed at their schools. Here, uh, mem- at mem- um, the Memorial High School students are using it as costume. One Twitter use road. It's rude. It's racist within quotation. Jersey Day has been used as an undercover within quotation. Thug days for years. Goodwin said the faculty has never changed or changed or disciplined the student wearing the things that offended many students, she added within quotation. Memorial High School administrators responded to the controversy by counseling the rest of the Spirit Week. Administrators also sent a letter to the parents writing that any instance of an inappropriate or offensive dress violation would not be tolerated. According to the local outlet KHOU11, something like that. Administrators did release a statement to ABC 13 that reads in part, I quote, 
On Tuesday, some rising juniors wore inappropriate dress and body slash hair decorations as part of an alternative and approved response to the theme day. As a sure expectation about the theme was clear valid, MHS has cancelled all remaining dress theme days for the remainder the remaining of the this week. Uh let me wear my glasses guys. I barely can't see. Because uh, the world characters are very small. Um, where were we? Yeah, while the majority of rising juniors followed the approval dress theme on Tuesday, an instance of inappropriate or offensive dress violation will not be tolerated. Student fund to be in violation of the student code of conduct and dress code will be given a consequence. MHS is focused today on preparing all students for finals and ending the school year well. Halfpost spoke with seven current and former students, including Goodwin, who said that racism and bigotry are rampant at Memorial High School. Eva Lahijani, an Iranian Memorial High School student, said, said that racism is pervasive at the school, but is swept under the rug within quotation all too often. As a black student, I'm already now represented well at my school, within quotation, Junior Laura Fields added, To see these events happen on Tuesday, deeply offended offended and saddened me. I couldn't grasp how the staff could let this happen again after years of the same thing, within quotation. Fields said this type of behavior is nothing new, within quotation, from Memorial. Her sister graduated four years earlier from the high school and thought that within quotation was still happening. Monica Day, a 2016 graduate, confirmed thug day within quotation has been happening for years, just under a different name. She told HuffPost that when she was in Memorial she was at Memorial High in 2015. A few of themed days for spiritual weeks were Swag Day within quotation and Senorita's Day within quotation, which, which uh, Miss Monica Day said devolved into the same offensive costumes. She said on Senorita's Day, many students wore sombreros and mustaches. And one female student wore a border patrol outfit. Jesus. Catherine King, current senior and co-editor of Memorial's student magazine, The Anvil, told HuffPost that the student who dressed up for Thug Day, within quotation, cannot blame cannot be blamed for ignorance because the magazine just ran a cover story about culture appropriation in its March issue. During her freshman year at Memorial High in 2016, Gabby Hamlin said someone graffitied a wall at the high school with racial slurs and anti-Semitic insults. She added that she's received death threats in speaking out against the Spirit Week theme. These last few days, I've been full of necessary rage against people who invalidated people like me, Hamlin, a black student said within quotation. Playing with a defined stereotype that hurts black and other minority communities isn't appropriate for a high school spirit there within quotation. When Rich for Common Memorial High School directed half post to speak with Spring Branch Independent School District Administrators, Spring Branch ICD did not immediately respond to half post. 
and that's the end of this uh, uh malarkey it's a goddamn malarkey guys I'm gonna let the music play in a minute and I'll catch my breath
guys, I'm back. Uh, I had to serve myself some food. Um, yeah. Now it's still too hot. I don't like uh, hot food. I also don't like cold food too. Just like halfway, like you know, um, half half food that is, you know, actually like half hot and half cold. You know what I mean? Like in the middle, halfway. So let me get right to it, guys. What's happening here? This is obviously white supremacy. I mean, you have all these um, teens, kids who have been convinced that you know they are superior to their other classmates who are black, or Latinos, Asians, uh, native, etc. So. This is how white supremacy operates, you know, through, um, you know, the next springs, um, so the offsprings, actual offspring, the yeah, next offsprings. So, yeah, that's all I have to say here. I mean, it's not surprising, you know, trying to, you know, prove how they're superior. And keep in mind, this is Texas, you know, the bank of white supremacy. So it's been known. And there's another article which I don't think I'm gonna share because it's almost the same thing. Uh, it, it's about uh, teens who um, took a photo uh, uh, when it, I think it was propose, uh, prom uh, and it went viral and they were. I was some racial slurs, like, you know, let me just play the video so you guys can hear what I'm, you know, trying to say here. This morning, officials at Palos Verdes High School, this morning, officials at Palos Verdes High School are weighing disciplinary actions. KTLA's Christina Pascucci, live in Palos Verdes Estates with more for us. Christina, good morning. Frank, good morning. Teachers are meeting now as we speak to figure out how to respond to and handle this situation. Meanwhile, a lot is going on for these students. They have AP exams this week, prom is on Saturday, and now they have a bunch of news vans outside of their school, all because of this. The photo you're referring to that many are saying is racist and has a slur on it shows two smiling students who are posing next to a sign that has a racist slur used against African-Americans written in bold. The male student had apparently asked a girl to prom with a sign uh, that said, quote, you're a racist, but I would give anything for you to go with me to prom. Parents and students are calling this ignorant. One father told me kids need to realize that students might think something is funny, but this is actually something that will stay with them through college, through the job application process, and anything kids do now is forever on the internet. The student who brought attention to this post and initially contacted the principal here spoke to us moments ago and it's truly just disgusting behavior um, and my first reaction was that we need to mobilize and we need to talk to dr. Tyner it makes me feel small honestly to know that there are students on my campus who think that that is acceptable who think that's appropriate who think that that word is just a word that can be thrown around like that um, and you know, it makes you feel as though you don't belong. We have some really great kids here. It's just one or two that, you know, bring down the whole school, and we're really worried about it. We have a big meeting this morning pertaining to it, and uh, we're going to get a handle on it. 
The principal of Palos Verdes High School wrote this, that of course uh, the sign is unacceptable. They're going to investigate who took the photo and when, but because of privacy rights, they're not going to discuss the details of what discipline these students are facing, and we are hearing they have, in fact, been disciplined already. Students this morning who we've spoken to also saying that the male student who is featured in that photo is an exchange student, and they don't think he realized the weight of the word that was used in that poster. Guys, I'm gonna stop right there. Uh, uh, actually, I'm gonna comment a little bit here on this video. You know, they just said the the male student was an exchange, you know, student, so he may not know uh, what it means. Again, you see, um, this is how the mainstream media uh, portrayal uh, our uh, identity, you know, black people, black identity. Uh, they're saying that, you know, uh, let me play the music in the background, what I'm sharing with you guys. They're saying that, you know, okay, you know, he's a next, uh, an exchange student, which is BS because if he is, they should really. Uh, deport him to his home country, you know, because and keep in mind, white supremacy operates everywhere. He's a white, you know, teenage boy. He knows what he's doing. When probably in his home country, it could be Brazil, it could be um, Missy UK. Who knows, you know. There is racism in UK, there's racism in Brazil, there's uh, racism in Sweden, in whatever country he them original. And um, and I guess I'm using this like country original metaphor because there are no posts. He's, a, he's a, an exchange student. It, it could be a cover up, you know, because they don't want like people taking the street and protesting. Because again, this is an event that took place in Los Angeles where there is a affluent and active black people living there you know Los Angeles was built by black people California itself was built by black people so they're playing this game carefully because this is not like Texas or Arizona where they can you know home or, or try, I mean not home like but try to you know come out and and portray their racism you know uh superiority or rhetorics uh actively without uh bullets flying you know uh in the air so yeah so so they're playing this narrative oh he must be an exchange which is fucking bullshit so yeah and i can't say this story just wanted just to you know cover this story you know uh and um the there's a, actually a story in a queer section 
um, I think it's in queer, right? Uh, yeah, because I found it in the queer section. So anyway, let me play if there's a video of this story. And uh, the story, the news article, the name of the news article is called This DJ found her creative calling after beating cancer. So, and it was written by Shakir Rumbley uh, on March 17th, 2019. So, without further ado, let me get right to it. Let me actually play the video. I was in such a deep and dark place. After I had my cancer, I became suicidal and attempted twice. And I'm here. And it was like, why? And now I know my reason why is because I have these stories. I have a testimony to tell. And me telling this testimony is the thing that also helps me get up in the morning. I'm thankful every day that I wake up that I'm still here. And that's all I can, that's all I want to yell out to the world is I'm still here. I can't believe it. I was diagnosed with lymphoma at 19 years old, uh, right after my first semester of college. So it was difficult. So I was rubbing my lymph node and felt like a pee. It felt like a little pee. And immediately I went into the room with my best friend and I was like, dude, I have cancer. And she's like, don't say that. Like, what's wrong with you? But I went to the doctor, and three weeks later, I was diagnosed with cancer. The chemo and cancer had a huge impact on me physically and emotionally. Uh, physically, it made me weak. It made me tired. I lost weight. I eventually lost my hair, which is very difficult for me when, you know, you're in your first year of college. You wanted, I just I wanted to be cute, like, with my girls that summer in the Hamptons, and instead, I'm, like, with a scarf and looking like I haven't eaten in weeks. This guy dumped me because of my hair. <laughs> I didn't tell him I had cancer, and then my hair fell out, and I, I came back to school with just like this short hairstyle. I never realized how attached I was to my hair. My hair had a lot to do with my identity, and I didn't realize it until it wasn't there anymore. I was diagnosed in May, and by the end of the summer, I was going down to my last chemo treatment. It was such... Uh, violation of my body and my space and especially for someone who's 19 and just discovering my own body and for that to happen was extremely traumatizing I didn't know what to do after that because they were like the cancer's possibly going to come back there's a 90% chance it will return so you know I freaked out I was ex just so afraid to do anything and live my life uh, for eight years until I started eating I got into DJing uh, when I was about 27. We went to meatpacking in Manhattan one night, and that's all it took. Yo, what's up? My name is Kiana Works. Welcome to my party. I went to the club for three, three months, seven days a week. <laughs> Every night we were out at the club, and I was fascinated. I watched DJs kill it on the turntables, and it was just like the creativity and how they moved the crowd was so alluring to me and I just needed to know more about this so once I got to know that that feeling it was a safe space for me people come to the club to let loose I want to make people happy and so they can let go and, and leave 
feeling like they just released something. Anytime I share my story, it reminds me of why I'm still here. I tell my story through my art, and my art comes in different mediums. It can come in an oil painting, or I do it on the turntable. Now, my paintings are evolving and telling other stories about different relationships that I've been in, my relationship with God. I came out this year to my mom, so that was a huge thing for me to embrace my own sexuality, which is something that I've been painting about. It's not only uh, therapeutic to paint them, but I feel like this is my way of giving back and connecting with other people. But it's very scary thinking that your cancer might come back tomorrow, but we have to remind ourselves that it could come back tomorrow. So what life can you live today, just in case tomorrow doesn't show up? So guys, I apologize, I am, it's kind of rude to me, uh, from me, but I'm gonna have to um, take a break. From eating, I was eating. Um, so this is an amazing story. Um, so I'm gonna read the article, and it's a short article. And uh, we're gonna continue, obviously, uh, with this podcasting. When um, Kiana Parks was 19, she was diagnosed with lymphonia. A, uh, with lymphonia, yeah. A deadly form of blood cancer. Following her diagnosis, Parks, a college freshman at the time, started radiation and chemotherapy treatment. The chemo and cancer had a huge impact on me, physically and emotionally. Parks, who's now a 14 year survivor, uh, third half post within quotation physically it made me weak it made me tired i lost weight and eventually lost my hair which is very difficult for me within quotation she say uh park finished her chemo after a few months but it took much longer for her to really adjust to the new fact um of uh, her life especially when she's learned there is a nine percent chance your cancer will turn at some point uh, Africa out after the cancer was gone within quotation she said I was just so afraid to do anything and then live with my life for eight years until I start DJing within quotation Parks grew up in Paris New Jersey between her Pentecostal church community and her stepfather who's a DJ uh, music musician or the dj yeah dj just dj music had always been a presence in her life she would always had she always had a talent for painting and then set out to make music her vocation by the age of 27 after doing some graphic design work for a dj she was encouraged to come to a club to watch him entertain that night ultimately changed park's life I was really, really depressed. I'd never been to the class like that, and we went to meet Park in Manhattan one night, and that's all he took, within quotation, she said. I went to the club for three months, um, seven days. Every night we were at the club, and I was fascinated, within quotation. 
Parks fell in love with the, the way Dijon allowed her to interact with an audience. She now credits music with serving her life. The practice became a safe, uh, a safe space for her, providing an envi- environment where she felt brave enough to share her story about battling cancer. By 2014, her commitment to sharing her narrative led her to help start an event called DJ for a Cure, within quotation. A silent auction aimed at raising money for lymphoma and leukemia research. While DJing has become a major part of her life, Park still used painting as a way to document various aspects of her world. I tell my story through my art, and my art comes in different mediums. It, it can come in an old painting or I do it on turntables, she told Half Post. I will always tell my story just to encourage other people to be strong within quotation. Park's work explores a number of subjects, some strikingly personal, like her recent decision to come out to her mother as a queer woman. She grew up in Pentecostal church with a grandfather who was a bishop, and this is um, this is reflected in her work. And it's important to her to create an image the highly the highlight woman of color, given the role they play in her upbringing. I can only pen f- uh, to what I know, and that's what I grew up around. Where so many different uh, women color, she said, with uh, quotation. I went to Paris for the first time maybe two years ago, and then the museums, I didn't see many of us. I didn't see many strong women of color, and I want to paint more because I want to see us in museums, within quotation. Above all, Park sees as her mission to motivate people to live fiercely because no one knows what might happen tomorrow. I don't like my stories are meant for me, she said within quotation, I feel like this is me giving back and connecting with other people tomorrow you may not be here. Again, tomorrow my cancer might come back, she went on, but you don't leave this moment and you let fear get in the way. You just lost a minute. This article is kind of atrocious, the writing is kind of atrocious, but it's fine. I mean, um, I can get through the article and can understand the spirit behind behind the article. So, yeah. So my take on this, you know, it's, uh, it's an amazing journey for her, and it's inspiring uh, not just to me but also to the queer people. Uh, even though I'm not queer, I'm a cisgender person, uh, cisgender and demisexual person, straight person and demisexual, obviously if you want. Um, so it's inspiring because obviously you know she been through a lot and she was um, able to get a a way to um, connect with her spirit connect with uh, her body you know in a way that allow her um, the power to um, become happy you know and that is uh, an amazing thing so actually, I'm gonna do some um, queer news, black queer news uh, here. So stay tuned.
there's this article from autostrata.com uh, uh, it's called it was published on uh, March 28 20, uh, 28th 2019 and it's called Kenyan LGBT human rights um, ORG like uh, as an organization wins long overdue legal victory it was uh, written by Kari. Yeah. It's, so I'm going to read the article and I'm going to give you my take. It's not a really long article. This last Friday, a court in Kenya ruled in favor of allowing an LGBTIQ human rights group to register an opera in the country. The ruling delivered on March 22nd comes a year to the day after the National Gay and Lesbian Human Rights Commission's NGLHRC, within parentheses, last legal win, outlawing the use of ANA examination and STI testing to determine the sexual orientation of gay men and trans women. This is the second time in six years that the LN, uh, actually the NGLHRC has won its, its case against the NGO con nation board the governmental agency responsible for registering nonprofits in the country same-sex acts in the country remain punishable with up to 14 years in imprisonment though identifying as LGBTIQ is not a crime founded in 2012 by a group of young Kenyan lawyers who wanted to advo advocate for legal rights uh, I had to cut that song off, guys, because it was too loud. Um, where were we? Um, who wanted to advocate for the legal rights of the LGBTIQ Kenyans and provide culturally sensitive legal representation for many in the community who continue to be a victim of discrimination and crimes because of their sexual orientation and slash or gender presentation. The NGLHRC attempted to produce as non-profit in 2013, however, its application was denied on multiple occasions by the NGO board. In their refusal, the board took issue with the words gay, within quotation, and lesbian, within quotation, in the organization's suggested name, implying that NGLHRC changed its name to be allowed to register the board also argue that the group intended to promote homosexuality which is uh which if a falsely claim was against kenyan law the director of ng uh, lhrc eric guitari filed a lawsuit against the board arguing that his constitutional right to, to freedom of association had been valid in 2015 a court ruling in favor of NGLHRC and ordered the NGO board to allow its registration. In his ruling, the presiding judge highlighted the popular morality, red, blatant, and perseverative homophobia could not be used to infringe on the rights of individuals. And that Kenya was a secular state, now logists uh, one as argued by the board. Therefore, the freedom of belief and um, a Christian faith, which the NGO board cited was against homosexuality, apply both ways. 
that is the kenyans who did not believe in christianity and therefore religion could not be used to limit constitutional rights this ruling marked important um an important turning point for the lgbt rights activists in kenya and the region it was successfully relied upon in a similar case in botswana where the uh, Legabio, an LGBT rights organization, had been denied registration. Legabio won its appeal case in 2016. However, back in Kenya, the NGO board has continued to defy court orders to reduce the NGLHRC. The board appealed the court's decision the same year, and in 2018, three years later, the appeal was heard by five, ju- by five ju- judges. Has got bench at the court appeal just this past Friday. That bench dismissed NGO board case in uh, three to two ruling. In a society that is diverse as Kenya, there is a need for tolerance in any democratic society. There will always be marginalized group. This appeal, therefore, lacks merit and is dismissed. One of the judges stated within quotation. Immediately following this ruling, the board, through his lawyer, intimated that it will appeal to the decision uh, to the Supreme Court of Kenya. As one of these writings, no appeal had been filed yet. For Jerry Gatero, the current. Jeez, this is a long article. I'm not going to read the whole article, but just know day one, and it's an amazing news. Uh, because uh, it's amazing reading news because I'm from East Africa and I know uh, the black ways are always marginalized in that part of region and uh, especially in Kenya and Uganda so in Rwanda, also in Rwanda obviously in Burundi it's not that much because obviously you know you can't live your own life no one is gonna come and try to jail you so Actually, but in some ways, they don't care about these rules, even though I remember they passed a law back in 2010 or 2011. Um, but, I mean, people really not paying attention to that, even there's a law. So, yeah. So, another article, actually, it's interesting. And again, it was published uh, February 23rd, 2018. 18 last year yeah but it's interesting let me share with you guys let me see how long it oh lord it's long but i'm gonna really share with you guys um probably that's the last one though because i'm very tired i had a long day and i also have to step out i have to take a walk yeah i'm missing to take a walk. even I, even though i took a while to the um, to my church and it was an amazing walk i do like Seven thousand um, steps. Was it f- actually five five thousand something like that? I mean, I had to take some steps in uh, park while I was waiting for the church service because I couldn't go just in church service and wander sing uh, in the um, cafeteria. Um, I couldn't do that. Um, yeah, it's beautiful outside, you know. Here in Maine, it does snow a lot, so it was really overdue. Uh, so the article in question is called Lesbian Married Couple Battle South Africa because homophobic uh, Department of Home Affairs over spousal visa. So, and uh, there's a photo of the couple. So 
I'm gonna read uh, you the article, and obviously we are uh, almost reaching uh, the end of the um, the recording limit, the hour. Uh, like I like to say here, guys, it's an hour limit. So I'm gonna read it. If does, if I don't have enough time to finish the article or to give my personal content, I'm gonna record another podcast segment. You, you don't have to worry. And I'm also gonna add uh, one article probably just to wrap it up. So we will see. And it reads by National Lesbian Married Couple Wendy Kessman. From the United States and Nofundongidi from South Africa have been uh, dealing with multiple complicated setbacks from South Africa's Department of Home Affairs over spousal visas. And yet, another example of same sex couples being discriminated against by the South African government, despite marriage equality being legalized in November 2006. The couple who have been together since 2014 applied for a spousal visa for Kessman soon after their marriage in the in, in early 2017. The application had been initially rejected as home office had claimed that Kessman had to return to the United States to apply. This claim contradicted earlier advice from home affairs that Kessman could apply for a spousal visa while in South Africa. <coughs> Pardon Following a 2016 High Court ruling challenging previous rules ordering foreign spouses to apply for and await decisions on spousal visas outside the country, oh, Jesus, uh, as it was deemed to be inconsistent with the Constitution. In 2017, after appealing the initial rejection, Kessman and Giddy were surprised to find that the application for a study visa was rejected, given that they didn't apply for a study visa. The couple has received support from South African LGBTI groups and media coverage by Mamba Online, uh, I guess it's a magazine, a South African LGBTI lifestyle magazine. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, my guess was right. Um, to escalate the case. However, the, their case may be unsuccessful based on a phone call from Home Affairs in the past week saying their application will be rejected again. It was a horrible call within quotation said Kessman speaking to the Orestred magazine. The representative from the Home Affairs said, South African Home Affairs said, we don't understand the law and we are trying to do uh, what, we are, what we were trying to do was not allow because the people who um, uh, who our case precedence is best of of had different circumstances. The couple that filed the lawsuit in the 2016 High Court ruling were heterosexual, had four children. It's become apparent throughout they don't. Uh, sorry, the page was really acting weird. Um, the illustrated page. Um, <clears throat> well, what was that? Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's become a problem though, uh, throughout that they don't see us as a family, Kesman adds. South Africa Department of Home Affairs has come under fire from LGBTQ activists and community members for discriminating against LGBTQ people in their processes. They have rejected calls to remove provisions allowing marriage offices to ref- uh, to refuse to marry same-sex couples. Uh, 
though activists were successful in stopping home affairs from forcing Americans people to divorce to obtain a change in their gender mark on the documentation. Uh, I don't think I'm gonna be able to finish, probably I'm able to finish this article, but we will see. There's a lot of an editorial, an editor actually, um, I meant evidence that suggests that homophobia and transphobia plays a role in the process of trying to regularize a person's stay, says Matthew Clayton, research advocate and policy coordinator at the Triangle Project, which provides help, supports, and other professional services to South Africa LGBTI communities, such as clinics, counseling, and legal support for survivors of violence. Speaking to Otto's trade, magazine and uh, Clayton noted that there is a lack of data on acceptance and rejection rates of spousal visits based on sexuality and also points out the issue seems to affect regardless of country of origin or resources and a lot of lots of people from the US and UK people who have the resources to hirelers and who have employees helping them who sometimes they are not able to stay in South Africa within quotation South Africa has had it tenuous relationship with LGBTI people, despite being one of the first countries to call for protection of LGBTI rights, violence and discrimination is rife, especially towards black lesbians and trans men. Currently, within quotation, uh, within quotation, currently the laws in South Africa are very progressive and affirming of LGBTI, but the general population have a different ideas, says Kim Ligdor, founder of a, a P. FLAG South Africa meant in an email to Australia that also cited a service saying that 80% of South African population consider homosexual to be always wrong within quotation. The staff at home affairs are known to lose papers, slash forms, or drugs if it were possible. When it's possible, I think they meant. It all depends on the branch that you go to. Home affairs have acknowledged that only a fraction of branches are willing to assume to return their affairs. There's a part of a larger problem in South Africa within the quotation. Within quotation, the I go the gap between rights and implementation of rights is significant. Adds Kissman. We are proud of the rights we have as an LGBTI married couple. But if they are not implementing their welfare, just because you have the right doesn't mean you have justice within the quotation. The visa limbo has caused significant stress to Kessman in Diggy's life, affecting the ability to work, study, or even undertake basic life skills that many take for granted. It impacts everything. I can't walk, drive, open, bang a gun, leave the country, go to school, exercise Kessman, a researcher for GBTI lived experiences in the region. She has been accepted for a, a PhD program based on her research, but needs a visa to commence. Supports uh, support from family, friends, and community members, including civil rights attorney, media politician, and advocacy uh, organizations within parentheses, as well as writers group founded by Kessman, are keeping the couple going. Doing this kind of work, um, doing this kind of work allows for more. F- for some freedom and i keep in mind i don't need a visa to write but still the income is constituting uh, a constituent issue we need to sustain ourselves through this emotional and financial draining process 
we need those that are willing to take a calculated risk on us, hire us, fund us. It doesn't just contribute to documentation and ensures that we sustain this fight within quotation. Kissman and Ngidi are currently wearing a written rejection from home affairs so they can be escalated. They can escalate their case to the high court, hopefully in the next few months, due to the contradictory advice and long process times. From home affairs, Kessman has already overstayed her visitor's visa, which means she's able to leave the country without being the salah from returning. We have to stay and challenge it, and challenge it, and it is our right to, she says. We didn't have choice to overstay or not. And now we have no choice as to see all the way through. And that's the end of the, this long ass article. Guys, I'm going to give you my comment in the next podcast segment. Uh, but always going to come in one podcast segment. Just another uh, podcast um, record. Uh, so, yeah, stay tuned. Because we are reaching an hour record. Because we are at 56, um, 30, 56, 30 seconds. So stay tuned.
guys i'm back i am back i'm back i'm gonna share i'm i'm gonna share my personal take on the article i just share with you guys and i'm gonna share a last article to wrap it up uh to wrap this um uh night session podcast night session uh for today uh so yeah my take on uh, the article is you know um it is a combination of two things there is a, a race issues involved and there's also a um sexual orientation that is involved uh why race first because um just let me go back to the article because i was on another website uh Gosh, I already um, I removed the article on my tabs, uh, my uh, Windows tabs. But anyway, uh, one of the like one of the uh, uh, actually uh, one of the power, one of the um, one of the women, like you know the couple. Um, I think her name is Sarans, right? She is a white woman uh, who's uh, in uh, interracial, uh, you know, uh, couple. So with uh, a black South African woman. So uh, South Africa, you know, I say, you know, come on, you know, we're not gonna offer this white woman what she's really looking for you know yeah we can see she has men but we're gonna block her we're gonna really prevent her in um getting what she wants to you know uh, get which is uh the um um the right to for her partner to join her uh in the u.s so which is through uh, visa, uh, through receiving visa. So, uh, so that's a race issue because you know. So there's a race war um, in South Africa. So, as in any um, African Black African country that has uh, a a big population of white Caucasian people. So, <coughs> Zimbabwe. Or, I think Zimbabwe is not it's not a case anymore. Um let me see. Probably Zambia, yeah, Zambia. So yeah. And uh yeah, that's my take on this, guys. So, yeah, basically it's m- mostly a race issue. It's not really uh, a sexual orientation issue even though, you know, uh it is it, it plays a role, but it's not really the major role here. Um, major, you know, reason they're not providing to the black South African woman uh, a way out um, of this uh, issue. So, I'm gonna share with you guys. Um, I was gonna share two articles, but I'm really burnt out. I'm so tired. I just finished to eat my um, dinner. So, just one last article and. I'm gonna wrap it up so and it comes from um, the glad uh, magazine and it's on glad.org 
it's called uh, it's called hiding in plain sight understanding the real fear of violence queer women experience and what we can do about it so that's the name of the article and it was written by Nicole Jemeri uh, Glad Campus Embassador uh, yeah I'm so tired guys I barely can talk um, yeah Embassador so it's like he's like a representative of the Glad uh, movement one of the representatives so uh, yeah It reads, concerts in my experience have always been events filled with excitement and uplifting emotions. That's why hearing of a homophobic incident taking place at a Jack White concert in early November made me uneasy. At his show in Edmond, Alberta, Alberta, two women kissed each other in the audience during the legendary song Seven Nation Army, within quotation subsequently an usher nearly immediately walked over the uh, over to the woman physically putting herself between the two to stop them the usher told the woman uh, <clears throat> planning that that kind of behavior was not allowed the venue according to one of the women's uh, Facebook post about the incident there's a link um, uh, attached to the word Facebook post about the incident Uh, the worker then told the venue's manager what she had witnessed was an appropriate sexual behavior within quotation. The ushers of uh, um, the top reaction begs the question, why is it seen as perfectly normal for Australia-assumed couple to show affection in public, but when queer firm couples do the same, it's a blameless sexual act? with a question mark in the end. This is something I've asked myself a lot and I have found that the root of this problem is not just homophobia, not just misogyny, not just an issue of power, it is a combination of the three. Um, the toxic hero patriarchal, patriarchal, however you want to pronounce it, standards forced upon queer women and farms are harming us all in everyday life. We are told by society from a young age that we need the physical and emotional companionship of a man otherwise we can never have families or complete lives when queer women like those at this concert express the kind of affection the society deems only possible to be had with a man they are seen as rebellious rejecting expectations this was why um, the usher unconsciously deemed their harmless happy kiss an act of unacceptable sexual deviance. The same standards teaches men to feel anger, display of queer fam affection, as they believe that they are being denied something that men are normally owed, the love and attention of a woman. Ironically, many of these same straight men also find and fantasize about queer women, but only in the context of two women's physical love being a performance to gain the affections of men. Once men see queer women and firms expressing affection in public, however, the illusion that all women need a masculine presence in their romantic lives in order to be fulfilled is 
effectively shattered. This is exactly why the discrimination between acceptance versus fetishization of queer and transgender women is imperative to understand. Why the recent, uh, why the constant incident actually um, meant of homophobia was contained to a minor physical altercation. Many other queer women, especially transgender women, experience violence because of their sexual orientation and slice or gender expression. Just last month, a 20-year-old woman was recently attacked on a New York subway, leaving her with a. Ah, <coughs> uh, where are we? I just received a notification from my half post. I was reading, reading it, uh, the small um, quote uh, from them. So, while leaving uh, her with a fractured spine after men saw her share a brief kiss with another woman, the attacker struck the victim from behind out of, um, of the homophobic angle, slinger slurs at her in the process after they attacked the woman will show a face for an in interview, she also said that she will probably never ride the subway again because the trauma that the attack caused her. <clears throat> in another violent attack, half post uh, reported Tacoma man had been charged with a crime after he saw a lesbian couple at an NFL game in Seattle, Washington. The incident took place on December 30th by the attacker J.D. Hop. Onlookers intervened, but only after Hub was able to scream vulgar homophobic comments, grab one woman, punch the other woman, her wife in the face. Violence took the life of Dana Martin, a 31 years old woman living in Alabama. Police found Martin had been shot and killed in her car in a roadside ditch on Sunday, January 6th. Martin death represents the first documented murder of trans person in the United States in 2019. While Martin's killer and their murder are only current known, it is possible she was attacked because of her identities as an African-American trans woman. As trans women of color are disproportionately victimized by anti-LGBTQ violence. This woman all experienced humiliation, violence, and in the case of Dana Martin, the ultimate tragedy in what were supposed to be safe every day and even happy occasions. The experiences are a reminder to all women and LGBTQ people that our greatest fears could come true or that we can really control after something like these incidents happened in uh, is our reactions and how we can move forward in a productive way as a society. I'm almost done guys. Um Jack White's uh actually Jack White's response to what transpired in his concert though represents a momentary relief from the real life fear and anxiety queer women experience. Upon learning of the incident, White posted a black and white snapshot on Instagram of two women kissing amongst the screaming amongst them uh, the screaming crowd at a bitter concert in 1964 he explained how the image was beautiful to him because these women were hiding in plain sight within quotation 
He went to express his disappointment about the events that transpired his show. The following night on stage, White dedicated his song Love Interruption with an quotation to the two women, encouraging those in the audience to kiss their significant others, no matter who they were. Having a prominent figure in, in entertainment like Jack White, especially with him being a stressed gender man, used his platform to denounce hatred and promote acceptance when it comes to issues like this is critical. We need more moments of allyship, and we need allyship when the stakes are even higher. And there's like a Instagram caption and a photo attached to it. This disgusting displays of homophobia in Edmond, Seattle, Montgomery, and New York City are only for example of how homophobia, misogyny, and fetishization of women is alive and well. White's reaction gives me hope that less LGBTQ plus people will have their love interrupted in the future. But it's all of us, everyday people, to stand up and stop violence and bias when we see it. Oh, Lord. Guys, I am burned out. I am really tired. I don't know if I'm gonna able to take the walk, but I'm gonna try. Because I really want to take a walk by my body. I didn't sleep enough uh, um, hours today. I probably went to sleep around 2 and woke up at 7. So I only slept like almost like, I mean, it's almost 5 hours. It wasn't even 5, hours, probably like 4 hours and a half at most. Anyway, so guys, my take on this is, you know, obviously there is a homophobia involving, you know, and this obsession, like I was talking on, the, on my podcast yesterday, and you guys should check out the uh, previous podcast that I made at the end, the article that I shared with you guys was about young men being harassed by cisgender and straight men artist of the name of Kodak Black uh, from um, Florida with uh, Haitian uh, lineage so this is, has been something you know common in cisgender uh, communities but again it's not justifiable this is a crime and should be punished under the penal court system what is him US and Canada or elsewhere there's no need to brutalize and uh, harm uh, queer women. You know, queer women should be, um, should feel, should feel uh, welcome, comfortable, and at ease. Um, uh, probably, you know, this probably may be a harsh word, but uh, feel, you know, that they are home. You know, they're in a place where they can be themselves. You know, they can go to a restaurant, they can go to a, a music venue and enjoy themselves and kiss passionately without having the fear to be uh, at home in any capa- in any way, in any capacity. So that is my take on this one. This this should never be acceptable. So, guys, thank you for tuning in, and um, 
I'm probably gonna catch with you guys um, as a public tomorrow. I'm gonna try to do it tomorrow and after to, uh, uh, Monday, which is tomorrow, and the day after tomorrow, which is Tuesday. So I'm gonna try to drop two podcast segment uh, in the coming two days. I'm gonna really work on that one, on these two actually. So thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, again, my name is Ori A U R Y. Sabushi Mike S A B U S H I M I K E. And I'm the host of this podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share and download on your um, cell phones, on your devices, you know, on your iPads, computers, etc. So, yeah, thank you and happy Sunday. And before I let you go, today is. Uh, the anniversary of uh, the great civil rights leader Malcolm X. So let me check how old he will have been today. Um, how old he will have been, the brother? Uh, let me see. Malcolm X, May nineteenth. Malcolm X. So he was also an American minister. So he was born in uh, May nineteen May nineteenth, uh, nineteen twenty-five in Omaha, Nebraska, and he was assassinated on February twenty-first, nineteen sixty-five, uh, by Audubon Audubon Ballroom. Uh, at not by, but at the Audubon uh, Audubon. Yeah, let me correct myself. At Audubon Ballroom Theater. Uh, so, in Washington Heights neighborhood of Manhattan, New York City. So, so if he was born in 1925, let me see how old he will be today. So, May 19th, 1925. So, when 2019 2019 minus 1925 what? so today he will have been 94 years old wow you know he was killed in uh 1965 let's see how old was he when he was killed uh, 1965 minus 1925 we get 40 years old so he was killed um, when he, uh, after, uh, before actually he turned 40 years old. It was a few months before he turned 40 years old. So fortunately, guys, he was an amazing minister. He brought people together. So this this was a big loss 
black people on the globe so guys i'm gonna wrap it up here thank you for um listening to my podcast um i'll catch up with you probably i will see you probably tomorrow or the day after tomorrow i'm gonna really try to work on recording uh for two uh in the two days upcoming two days in row so monday and tuesday i'm gonna try to really work on that one so yeah thank you i'm gonna let the audio music play in the background and at the end i'm gonna cause it so thank you guys have a good sunday i hope you enjoy uh what i am in portland man the weather is gorgeous so thank you god bless um may allah be with you shalom anything i'm out